Our scripture reading is from Proverbs 26, 11, and 12. This can be found on page 548 in your pew Bible. If you don't own a Bible, we would love for you to take that one home as a gift. Like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Do you see a man who's wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. The word of the Lord. Well, thank you so much, Emmeline, for reading God's word for us and welcoming us. I'll add my welcome to hers. My name is Paul Brandis, and I serve here as one of the pastors. Thank you uh, for joining us this morning. If it's one of your first times with us, maybe your very first Sunday, or if you've been with us from the very beginning, thank you. We appreciate you taking time out of your week uh, to join us this morning. As we open God's word together, as we, we study the book of Proverbs, uh, at Christ Community, we believe that uh, if God doesn't show up and, and speak through the preacher, that, that all of this is going to be in vain. And so we need God's help, and so I'd invite you to join me as we, we pray for God to show up in this place. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you that you spoke heaven and earth into existence and that you are still speaking. May we listen to it, Lord, as we study what it is you have for us in Proverbs. I pray that I would diminish as you increase this morning, Father in heaven. Amen. Well, my junior year of college, I missed out on an incredible opportunity. That year, I experienced one of, one of my life's greatest regrets. You see... I love basketball, like, like love it, love to watch it, love to study it, love to manage fantasy teams within it, which drives my wife crazy to no end, and most of all, though, most of all, I love to play basketball. Now, my high school that I went to, suburban Chicago, was far too big to play more than one sport. I, I graduated with 1,000 kids. There was 130 boys who went out for my freshman baseball team. So, so I had to focus in on baseball. But all throughout high school, my love for hoops, it grew and grew and grew. I, I couldn't get enough of it. And, and so junior year, the JV basketball team at my tiny Christian college was in trouble. Several players were out due to injury or academic ineligibility. They needed players. They needed bodies. And who do you think the coaches approached about joining the team? Me. And here it is, the missed opportunity, the big regret. I said no. I said no. And it, and it wasn't because I didn't want to. It was because I was, I was committed. I was engaged. I was involved in other activities. So I, I said no. But, but boy, do I regret it. And do you know why? It's because I missed out on the opportunity to truthfully say that I was a college basketball player. I mean, right? I don't have to tell you the full story. I was a college basketball I missed out on the opportunity to put myself and Michael Jordan in the same sentence. And you, you know I would have too, right? I mean, I would have said things. I'd be going around saying stuff like this all the time. You remember, you remember Jordan. I mean, you know MJ, right? I mean, just do it, Nike, right? Do you remember when he had the game-winning shot when he was at the University of, of North Carolina? Yeah, I played college ball too. We're, we're basically the same person. Now, make no mention of the fact that my college career would have been barely sniffing the floor on the JV team of an NAIA school with 600 people in it. I could have been a college basketball player. Come on, folks, right? Okay, not really a missed opportunity. I don't, I don't lack sleep at night because I, I said no to this. It's not a real regret. Not a real one. But... But we have those too, don't we? Real regrets. 
actions taken, words spoken, mistakes made, or, or the other way, actions avoided, words swallowed, opportunities missed, real and actual regrets. We all have them. I know we do. I know I do. And so as we close our study in the book of Proverbs, here's the question that I have for us this morning. How do we avoid living a life characterized by regret? How do we avoid a life, living a life that is characterized by regret? Because you see, it's inevitable that all of us are going to have some regrets. No matter how many years you've lived this morning, I'm willing to bet that you, you already have some. You already have some regrets, but, but this is the question. When we get to the end, when we're ready to go and when we're reflecting upon it all, as we look back over our lives, how do we avoid living a life that is characterized by regret? Now, so far in the book of Proverbs, we've been focusing on, on wisdom. That is the unifying theme. It's part of the wisdom literature in our, in our Bible and what we've discovered over the past six weeks is, is this. Wisdom starts with the fear of God. Wisdom trusts God more than ourselves. Wisdom invites wise people in. We've learned that wisdom builds lasting friendships. We discovered that wisdom is generous with everything. And, and last week, Bill shared from the book of Proverbs that wisdom knows the power of words. That's a fly-by summary of what we've covered in the book of Proverbs to this point. Wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. But you see, there's another side to all of this. And one of the strands that we can pull through the book of Proverbs is this. It connects to the question of regret. Here it is. The life of a fool produces a life of regret. The life of a fool produces a life of regret. And yes, if, if you've been with us, then, then you know that we've talked about the fool some in this study in the book of Proverbs. Wisdom and folly are opposite sides of the same coin. And so over the last six weeks, as we've studied the wise, inevitably we've also encountered the fool. But this morning as we close, what we're going to do is we're going to turn our focus entirely to the fool. And as we unpack what it is that God has for us in Proverbs this morning, this is what we're going to discover, that the life of a fool produces a life of regret. Specifically, what we'll see this morning is that fools struggle to see their foolishness. We'll discover that, that fools live as a rule unto themselves and that fools hide their sin. So first, first, Fools struggle to see their foolishness. Now, I think this truth is most powerfully captured in the verses that Emmeline read for us just a few moments ago. Proverbs 26, verses 11 and 12. Those verses read this. Like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Stop there for a second. That's lovely, isn't it? We've, we've said this before, but I think it bears repeating. There are just some verses in Proverbs that you're never going to find on a coffee mug. That is tops the list, is it not? Like, like a dog that returns to its vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. It's an entirely gross image, and folks, that's the point. That's the point. It's supposed to be a gross image, right? Because this is what happens. You read verse 11. What do you, there's a, okay, so like a dog returns to vomit, look, is a fool who returns to his folly. Well, it can't get worse than that. 
right? That's got to be the worst kind of fool there is. But then you read verse 12 and you're like, oh my goodness, there's something worse than the dog vomit fool, right? That's verse 12. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. I mean, this is incredible. What could be worse than the dog vomit fool? Well, what the book of Proverbs says is worse. This is a special kind of foolishness. It's the people that don't know what they don't know. They don't know what they don't know, and yet they think they've got it all figured out. That is worse than the dog vomit fool. The people that, that think they have it all figured out, but, but they don't, and they don't know what they don't know. And really, this is the upside-down catch-22 of the wise and the foolish. You see, the wise person is the one who seeks out wisdom, who invites correction. The wise person is the one who deeply knows that they do not know it all. That's the wise person. But the fool, on the other hand, is blind to their foolishness, and they also brashly believe that they are wise. They bristle at correction, they reject counsel, and they think that they have arrived fully. And in doing so, they are bound to repeat their mistakes again and again and again, just like a dog who returns to its vomit. Now, if that's a little too gross for you, maybe... Maybe this super cute toddler will make the point a little better. Let's watch. You see where this is going? <laughs> We're 15 seconds in, it goes another 45. Maybe this time. Now, right? I mean, I'll let it. Oh, now there's one over there. Wait. No. He's gonna try the big one here at the end. You're hoping. You're hoping this this big orange one just kind of sets in there. Hold on. Hold on. Wait. And this one, this is going to do it. It's going to, oh, no. Now, okay, super cute, right, right? But we need to take this seriously, don't we? Because we've all been there. Listen, if you've ever thought, oh, no, I did it again, then you've been that toddler in that video. If you've ever thought, oh, no, I did it again, then that has been you. So the question is, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to be like the fool who struggles to see their own foolishness, or are you going to admit that you have blind spots? Because that's the antidote. Fools struggle to see their foolishness, so admit you have blind spots. Admit you have blind spots. You want to live a life without regrets? Then embrace a teachable posture and admit that you don't have it all figured out. Here, let me ask you just, just three simple questions this morning. Is it possible that you have a blind spot in your life? Is it possible that there are some things that you are struggling to see, struggling to comprehend? Is it possible that you are wise in your own eyes? Church, listen, all of us 
no matter who we are or where we've come from, should answer yes to one, two, or even all three of those questions. And if you're sitting there in your mind right now and you're answering no to all of them, then you might be in danger of Proverbs 26, 12. You might be in danger of being a fool who is wise in their own eyes. And that is a dangerous place to be. So don't be there. Instead, admit that you have blind spots. Now, by definition, a blind spot is something that you can't see. And so you can't just, you can't only admit that you have blind spots. You have to take it one step further and you have to invite others into your life to be able to help you see where your blind spots are. If you want to see your blind spots, you have to ask other people where they are so that you become aware of them. Now, a few weeks ago in this series in Proverbs, Pastor Henry did a marvelous job of unpacking this idea in the sermon on surrounding yourself with the right people. And if you missed that sermon, look it up on our website, find it in our podcast feed. I'd I'd highly recommend you listen to it. And in that sermon, he shared this Proverbs from chapter 25, verse 12. And that proverb reads this way, a wise correction to a receptive ear is like a gold ring or an ornament of gold. I got to ask you, are your ears receptive to correction? Are you open to having your blind spots pointed out to you by others? And, And is that valuable? Do you see the connection to value? Is it valuable to you or are you just kind of annoyed when someone points out a blind spot? Is it something you treasure like you would a gold ring or, or are you the gold standard? Are you the ultimate arbiter of what is right and what is wrong? Because you see, it actually, it actually goes even deeper for the fool. It goes deeper for the fool who thinks they are wise, who struggles to see their own, foolish, not, their own foolishness. Not only do they do that, Not only do they struggle to see their own foolishness, but they also live as a rule unto themselves. That's our second point this morning. Fools live as a rule unto themselves. We find this in Proverbs 21, verse 2. That verse reads this way. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. Now go with me for a second. Isn't the first half of this proverb the anthem of our culture? Every way of a man is right in his own eyes. Think about the dominant messages that you hear and see and read and experience in our culture from TV, from music to movies to the articles that you read. What are those messages? Be true to yourself. You do you. Don't let anyone else tell you who you are. Find your path, and on and on and on. It's recycled Proverbs 21.2. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes. This is not new. We think we've discovered something new with the be true to yourself path. It's not. It's been tried. It's been tested. And do you know where it leads? Where does the way of man lead? Proverbs 14.12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. This is not new. Our culture is not brilliant. We have not invented a new way of doing life. This is old. It has been tried. It has been tested. And man's ways always lead to death. Folks, 
in and of ourselves, we do not have the way of life within us. My ways, your ways are always going to lead to death. And, and I know, being a rule unto ourselves, it sounds really appealing. It sounds like it would be the best way. It sounds like it would be the easiest way. It sounds deeply appealing. On the face of it, when I hear that, I'm like, yes, give, give me that. I get to make the rules. I get decide, to decide how to go. I get to decide where do I turn and where do I not turn. I get to make all the decisions. That's appealing. It's appealing in the same way that eating a diet only of Halloween candy is appealing. I mean, that looks good, doesn't it? Who else is excited for Wednesday? Kids in the room? Who's pumped for Wednesday, right? That's Halloween. Let's get after it. My boys have been practicing Halloween. They dress up in their costumes. They come into the room. We, we put Legos in their buckets. They love it. It's like, I'm like, dude, you like the Legos. Wait till Wednesday. I'm getting some candy. No more Legos. You can't eat those, right? This seems appealing. This seems like it would be a great way. I'm going to live on Reese's. I'm going to live on Baby Ruth. There is no life in a Milky Way. There's no substance here. There's no life here. It would taste good for a while. It would even taste good for a long while. But if I ate only Halloween candy, I would end up dead with a lot of regrets. The Halloween candy way of life has been tried. It has been tested. And it is a way that leads to death each and every time. It's the way of the fool. Remember, the life of a fool produces a life of regret that leads to death. So, so we've got to admit our blind spots. We have to do that. Because fools struggle to see their foolishness. We have to admit our blind spots. But fools also try to live as a rule unto themselves. And so to counteract that, the antidote is this. Trust in the goodness of God's design. Fools live as a rule unto themselves. So trust in the goodness of God's design. Are you ready? Maybe you're done living the Halloween candy way of life. Maybe you've tried that. I know I have. There's not life to be found there. Are you ready to be done with that? Then you also have to be ready to submit to the ruler, the capital R ruler, who set all of this up. You see, the way that we avoid foolish, the foolishness of living as a rule unto ourselves is to live wholly and completely in the posture of I don't know it all. To live and embrace the posture of someone much, much, much wiser than me set all of this up and I'm going to live by his rules, by his design, not by mine. Folks, this isn't all random. Everything that we have here, everything that we see, everything we experience, it's not random. It's not chaos. No, there is a design to life, which means that there is a capital D, designer, and his name is Yahweh. Yahweh, the Lord. Every time in your Bibles where it says Lord and it's all in capitals, what's behind that is the personal name of the Lord, Yahweh. Yahweh, the God of the Bible. He is who was here before anything else was existing in perfect relationship with the Trinity. It is he who created, he who began, he who generously poured out creation and made everything. And he did so with order, with intention, with design, with rules, with structure. And what we find in the book of Proverbs, chapter 8, I love this so much. When I was studying in the last couple of weeks, 
reading all of these Proverbs, Proverbs 8 floored me. Because what we see is that the God of the universe, Yahweh, the creator God, the God of everything, the God who was the first beginner, the first mover, the one who spoke it all into, into existence, when he was there creating, do you know who was by his side? Lady Wisdom. We discover that in Proverbs chapter 8. It's this beautiful description of wisdom personified. Proverbs 8.22, the Lord possessed me. That's Lady Wisdom. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Lady Wisdom was there when God spoke the heavens and earth into existence. And so it follows, doesn't it? If we want to avoid living a life of regret, then we ought to align ourselves with God's wisdom, who was there from the very beginning. Spend some time this week reading the end of Proverbs chapter 8. Just soak in the scripture. Lean into what's being communicated here. Understand what it is that, that happens in these verses. Start in verse 32 with me. Follow along. Proverbs 8, 32. Blessed is the one who listens to me, who listens to Lady Wisdom, who watches daily at my gates, who waits beside my doors, for whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord, but he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. Do not miss what these verses are saying. Those who find wisdom find life, but those who fail to find wisdom find death instead. Do you see how serious this conversation is? Do you feel yet the weight of what it is that we're talking about this morning? This, this isn't just rules, and this is life and death. I think sometimes we can scoff at wisdom because that's all it seems like. It seems it's just kind of like a list of rules, like a list of do's and don'ts. It seems like wisdom is only about keeping us in line, or even worse, it's only about keeping us from having fun or experiencing a good time. But this line of thinking is actually deeply ironic. You know, sometimes we, we stiff-arm wisdom because we're afraid that pursuing a life of wisdom will lead to regret. We're worried about all that we'll have to miss out on. And then later, we'll, we'll come to regret all the things that we said no to. We say, I, I have to deny this, or I should avoid that, or I have to do what with my money? Doesn't God know I suffer from FOMO? And in our fear of missing out, we reject a life of wisdom. But in doing so, as Proverbs 8 tells us so clearly, we only injure ourselves when we reject the life of wisdom, we only injure ourselves because, again, it's not the life of the wise that produces a life of regret. It is, the, it is the life of the fool. The life of the fool produces a life of regret. Friends, listen to me. If we pursue a life of wisdom, in the end, we will not regret it. I promise you that. You will not look back upon your life and have missed out. You will not have been, quote, lame. You will not wish you had done it differently. Because if you pursue a life of wisdom, then you will be trusting in the goodness of God's design. You will be following the rules of the ruler. You will be living life as you were created to live, and there is no sweeter spot than right there. Living life day in and day out as you were designed and created and made to live. It is there that you find life everlasting. It is there that you find the full life that Jesus promised in John 10.10. I have come to give life and life to the full. That doesn't just mean heaven when we die. That means life now. That means life as we were built to live. You see, you and I, we're trains. 
And what good is a train if it's not on the tracks? God's design is the tracks. And, and, and what, what would a train be if it looked at the tracks and it said, no, I'm good. I don't need that. I will be free over here. That train is headed for a world of trouble. God's design, the tracks, they're not restrictive. They are life-giving. The train discovers who they're meant to be when they're on the tracks. That's your story. That's my story. God's design, God's wisdom, it's not restrictive. It's life-giving. In that space is where you find who you were made to be. Trusting in the goodness of God's design, even when it seems hard, even when it's countercultural, even when your friends laugh, even when your family, trust in the goodness of God's design. And when you do that, do you know one of the first things that starts happening when you begin to really deeply trust in the goodness of God's design? One of the first things that starts happening is you stop hiding your sin. Because that's what fools do. That's our final point this morning. Fools hide their sin. Fools hide their sin. Now, now maybe you're bristling at the word sin. This is a word that that has fallen out of use in our time. We're more apt to talk about mistakes or slip-ups. But I think we need to double down on the word sin. Do you know why? Because sin is what the Bible uses to talk about the capital P problem that exists behind all the other problems that we have. It's that serious. Sin is our rebellion against and rejection of God. Sin is the embrace of our ways, which lead to death. Sin is broken rules, but it's so much more than that. Sin is broken relationship. It's a broken vertical relationship. You're not right with God because of sin vertically, but you're not right with others because of sin horizontally. It breaks the relationships, and it's not just broken rules. It's so much more than that. Sin is murder, but it's lying and it's gossip too. Sin is division. Sin is racism, whether personal or systemic. Sin is sexism. Sin is hate in any form, and sin kills us. Sin kills. It's deadly every single time. And so there's a reason that I saved this point for last, because sin is no fun. Sin is not enjoyable in any way, and so when we go there, when we do sin, what is our instinct? instinctually, what do we do with that sin? What have we been doing with that sin from the very beginning? Think back to the garden. Think back to Genesis 3. Think back to Adam and Eve. We hide our sin. We shove it down. We push it back towards the darkness. We refuse to let it come into the light. This is where my foolishness is made manifest most often. Maybe you're with me. My foolishness is made manifest most often in the hiding of my sin. So we have to talk about this. Now, and I have to be clear as well. A fool is not someone who sins. A fool is not someone who sins. That happens to the wisest among us. No, a fool is a fool because of what they do or don't do with their sin. Do you see the difference? Do you see the distinction It's so important to make. You're not a fool if you sin. The wisest among us sin. But you're a fool if you hide it. I'm a fool if I hide it, if I tuck it, if I keep it in the dark. Proverbs 28, 13. Whoever conceals his transgressions 
Transgressions is one of the words that the Bible uses to talk about sin. Do you know why the Bible does this? There's a lot of concepts that you can't just describe in one word. So transgressions is one of the words that the Bible uses to talk about sin. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. You see, folks, concealment of our sin only makes it worse. If we conceal and hide and tuck away our sin, then we are left to do battle against it alone, and that is a battle that you will not win. You will not win your battle against sin alone. The great and brilliant Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it this way. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him or her. And more deeply he or she becomes involved in it, the more disastrous is his or her isolation. Sin wants to remain unknown. It shuns the light. In the darkness of the unexpressed, it poisons the whole being of a person. But but in confession, the light of the gospel breaks into the darkness and seclusion of the heart. Church, stop trying to fight your sin alone. You can't do it and you'll die trying. And yes, I know personally the pain of sin coming to light. I'm not saying this journey is an easy one to walk. I'm not saying that it, it might not get harder before it gets better. I'm not saying that. There are challenges here. But somewhere along the way, we've bought into the idea that the cost of others knowing our sin is greater than the cost of hiding it away. And that, church, is a deadly lie. And if we continue down that road, then we'll find our foolishness and regret growing wild while wisdom and peace wither and die. So don't go down that road. Instead, repent often. That's the third antidote. Fools hide their sins, so repent often. Fools hide their sins, so repent often. Now, repentance is a little bit of a churchy word, too. But all repentance means is, is to turn around and change direction. To turn around and change our ways. And, and baked into this idea of repentance is the fact that you have to admit that the way that you were going before was bankrupt. It was broken. It was the way that would lead to death. And so then what we find in Proverbs and throughout the rest of Scripture, what we find is that repentance is the keystone habit to living the wise life. Repentance is the number one way that you avoid living a life of regret. Repentance is the way that you avoid being blind to your foolishness. Repentance is the way that you live according to God's rule as opposed to your own. Repentance is the way you stop being the dog vomit fool. Anyone else ready to stop being the dog vomit fool? Then repent often. Repent often. And so let me ask you, when was the last time you repented? When was the last time you admitted you were wrong? When was the last time you apologized and, and actually apologized? Not that lame, vague, half-hearted thing that we can all do, right? Not just, oh, well, I know I'm not perfect, or sometimes you can even do the, I shouldn't have done that. But the words, I'm sorry, never actually escape your lips. We've been there, right? I shouldn't have done that. But you, you don't take that step to say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? When was the last time you truly repented, truly owned your sin, and truly brought it into the light where it could finally be dealt with? And if you really want to know the answer to these questions, then you need to ask someone else than who you see in the mirror. 
You need to ask your spouse. You need to ask your kids. Ask your kids about these things. Ask your friends. Ask your brothers. Ask your sisters. Ask the people in your life that you know you've wounded most. Ask them. They'll tell you. And listen, if what they have to say is hard and painful, don't bristle. Don't disagree. You're going to want to defend yourself. That will be your first instinct. You're going to want to nitpick. Well, yeah, but don't do that. Don't do that. That is going to be your instinct, but don't. Use it. Ask the people that you've wounded the most about these things. And when they press in and when they speak up honestly, don't run from it. Use it as an opportunity to do what we're talking about here. Use it as an opportunity to truly apologize, to truly repent, to truly confess. Use it as an opportunity to turn from your ways to God's ways and never turn back. We're going to sing about that in a minute, about never turning back to your ways. But turn from your ways to God's ways because in that turn, In that turn, from your ways to God's ways, we find not death but life. We find not folly but wisdom. We find not sorrow but joy and joy everlasting. And we find not regret. You don't find regret in that turn from your ways to God's ways. Instead, you find delight. Delight. Pastor and author Eugene Peterson passed away last week at age 85, from complications related to heart failure and dementia. Among other things, Peterson was really well known for his popular Bible paraphrase, The Message, which we use often here on Sunday mornings. The Message uh, was from the the mind and translation work of this brilliant, brilliant man here. And, And his close friend and fellow author, Wynne Collier, first shared the news on Twitter. His friend Wynne wrote this, My dear friend and pastor, Eugene Peterson, has died this morning. The lantern is out, but the joy, look at his face, But the joy he carried with him to his final breaths endures. Eugene is now with the triune God. He has loved his entire life. Memory eternal. I first discovered Peterson in college, but I I rediscovered him afresh earlier this year when I finally read his seminal masterpiece, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Folks, I devoured this book. I could not get enough of it. I highlighted whole pages I mean, the subtitle of this book is Discipleship in an Instant Society. Discipleship in an Instant Society. And this, this blows my mind because Peterson penned the words of this book 40 years ago in 1980. It's like 1980 was 38 years ago. Are you ready for that? That's crazy to me, but he did. He penned the words of this book. In, if 1980 was an instant society, what is 2018? but he saw where this was headed. 40 years ago, he looked around the corner and he saw what our instantaneous, on-demand society was going to do to the hardship of journeying well with Jesus. And what he recommends is a long obedience in the same direction. Commitment, perseverance, endurance when it is unpopular, Discipleship in an instant society. Commitment and perseverance and endurance that is directed toward God and God's ways. 
An obedience that admits blind spots, that trusts in the goodness of God's design. Obedience that repents often. An obedience that pursues wisdom and sprints away from folly. And ultimately, what Peterson argues for and the way that he lived his life was obedience that is centered upon Jesus and that travels with Jesus and that travels towards Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus, the son of the ruler and the son of the designer. Jesus, who lived a perfectly wise life. Jesus, who didn't have any regrets. You and I, we've got a few. Jesus didn't have any, did he? Jesus lived that regret-free life that we were meant to live, that we were supposed to live, that we couldn't live, all so that he could offer himself up willingly on your behalf, on my behalf, on Eugene Peterson's behalf, so that we might have a way when there wasn't one before. Jesus, the wisest person who ever lived. You see, Peterson knew well the words of the Apostle Paul in the book of 1 Corinthians when Paul writes that Jesus is the wisdom of God. And in so many ways, the life that Peterson lived was a life a wise life in awe of Jesus. He was obsessed with this idea of awe, of being overwhelmed with the person of Jesus. It's the life he lived, and in so many ways, it's the only sermon that he ever preached, the importance of living a wise life in awe of Jesus. And reflecting on that this week, author Russell Moore wrote these words about Peterson. Eugene Peterson can see Jesus now, and he no doubt realizes how temporal and fragmentary his awe was in light of what he experiences now. He leaves behind the people to whom he preached and taught and loved. And he leaves to those of us who never knew him personally the example, the wonderful and beautiful example of a long obedience in the same direction. But with all of that, he left us one sermon. One sermon. How we needed it and how we need it still. One sermon about the importance, the life or death importance of pursuing a life of wisdom in awe of Jesus. Do you want to live a life that is not characterized by regret? Then pursue wisdom, pursue Jesus, and sprint away from folly. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for examples like Eugene Peterson who I believe lived an incredibly wise life in awe of Jesus. I am grateful for his example, Lord, and I pray that by the power of the Spirit, each and every one of us would be able to walk similarly in his footsteps. Thank you as well for the example of Jesus, the wisest person who ever lived, the only person to live without any regrets. Thank you for Jesus' example. By the power of the Spirit, would we live in light of that example as well? But Father, most of all, I am thankful not for Jesus the example, but for Jesus the Savior. Sweet, sweet Savior Jesus, thank you that he stands in the gap for my sins, for Peterson's sins, for the sins of those here in this room today. May we trust in Jesus and may we never, ever turn back to our ways because we know there, Lord, that we will find death, but in you and in your ways we will find life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.